1: death, taxes, and a World Cup every four years. These are the truisms soccer fans have held dear since time immemorial. However, now the big wigs and decision-makers at FIFA want to up the frequency of the globe's biggest sporting event to once every two years. I'm joined by Tariq Panja of the New York Times, Rob Harris of the Associated Press, and our own Jimmy Conrad of 2006 World Cup fame to discuss the World Cup's governing body's attempts to push through a biennial world cup Lasso begins right now hey everybody welcome to Lasso. thank you so much for being part of the family thanks for tuning in leave us a comment like the video push that notification bell and you will get all the latest episodes we're on apple podcast spotify stitcher cbs sports and your cbs sports app right then as i mentioned in the intro something fishy is going on with (laughs) FIFA. When isn't it, by the way? But today we discuss about these plans from the World Cup FIFA body to try and see if they do it once every two years. I couldn't answer this myself. I'm not smart enough or good enough. I needed a good team. And I'm so happy to first welcome uh, our very own Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy, how are you, buddy?
2: I'm very good. I'm very excited to talk to these very intelligent gentlemen about this very interesting topic. So this should be a lot of fun. It should be a
1: lot of fun, and uh, absolutely, we brought in the big guns. First of all, let's welcome in. We're going to welcome in by, you know, who came to the taping first, all right? So, <laughs> Tariq Panja from The New York Times. Tariq, how are you, buddy?
3: I'm very good. I just want to thank Jimmy for getting up so early to, to
2: deal with this. Appreciate that, mate. You're no problem. I'm excited.
1: Listen, he gets paid enough to do it, so don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> just kidding. We always appreciate Jimmy getting up early. And last but not least, Rob Harris from the Associated Press. Rob, how are you, my friend?
4: Oh, good, good to join you. Good to spot those World Cup posters behind you. You might need a few more of them in the coming years. Or not, maybe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I might need a bigger wall if the plans uh, go to uh, plan. But thank you so much, everybody, for being uh, part of this. As I mentioned, today's a discussion about FIFA's plans to make the World Cup once every two years. And part of the conversation today is we wanted, obviously, as Jimmy mentioned, some really smart, great reporters that know everything about this conversation. Uh, And I include Jimmy Conrad, in that because as well he can offer not just you know a a reporting perspective but an actual playing perspective having played in a world cup of course representing the united states uh all right so the first thing i want to do here gentlemen is uh strike you know we obviously have read a lot i want to kind of set the scene uh for everybody watching and listening so Tariq, i want to begin with you first of all this isn't really something new, right? Like this idea of trying to make the World Cup more frequent. But why were FIFA pushing the idea of a biennial World Cup so suddenly and aggressively, so recent?
3: In terms of suddenly and aggressively, I think that speaks to the temperament really of the current president, Gianni Infantino, a man who has an idea and pushes it as fast as he can to try and get it done. It's only a couple of years ago where he sort of emerged into a meeting of the FIFA Council, which is its board for those who aren't familiar with FIFA, Um, 26, 27 members. It was in Bogota in Colombia in in 2018. He he just appeared with a document in his hand and he whacked it down on the table in front of everyone. He said, look, I've had this $25 billion offer from I can't tell you who because I've signed an NDA. <laughs> and i've got 60 days to get this done give me your signature and it's for a club world cup and you know if you're a reasonable member of a board with some fiduciary responsibilities you're probably going to say hey man you might want to give us some more information about this um it led to which you know this long standing war which is what it is with uefa because uefa's president alexander cheferin saw that as a threat to his champions league and this is where we are. Gianni comes up with an idea, and and this this issue of a, a biennial World Cup was mooted by the Saudi Arabian Federation at a FIFA Congress, as though it came out of left field, as though it was their idea. But it, it's clear this is the idea of the FIFA hierarchy, and and much like in the Sepp Blatter era, you 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 select a, a kind of client federation, an ally to to float a balloon, a balloon that you've pretty much inflated yourself. And then off we go. We're off to the races. And again, he seems to be in a real hurry to get this done by the end of the year. And, you know, Confederation presidents I've spoken to around the world seem to be wondering, it may or may not be a good idea. But why are we doing this so fast? This is, uh, you know, this man's style in many ways.
1: Yeah. Rob, I wanted you to chime in for a second, because uh, as, as Tariq is explaining in terms of, you know, setting the scene regarding to the Bionic World Cup, I, I was wondering, is the organization strapped for cash? You know, is there, obviously, the overall consensus right now is thinking it's a money thing. Is Do you feel that that is the way that it's going? Is there something more behind it?
4: I think it's very much a legacy proposition from and Fantino, and also wanting to have greater control of world football, to have a tournament every single year because a biennial World Cup would mean a men's or women's World Cup every single year, which suddenly makes FIFA a lot more important. And on top of that, a club World Cup potentially that is still trying to get through as well. It was already due to launch this year, but the pandemic and the lack of finances, finances really stop those plans going ahead. So I think we look at it in terms of Gianni Fantino wanting to elevate his own status, his own power. He obviously presents it as trying to help the growth of the game, the development of nations, more chances for teams to get involved in playing in a World Cup. Although Mm. there's less evidence that just because you have a World Cup more often means you're suddenly going to get a lot more teams qualifying already. The tournament is expanding to 48 teams from 2026, which creates all sorts of lopsided issues with the format with a three-team group stage and I think a lot of this it just questions over the process how he's come about to reach this point it was you know 2018 that this was first being floated by the uh, Commonwealth President Alexandra Dominguez and that th- those plans dropped then uh, and Dominguez couldn't get them through and FIFA didn't seem to pursue them much then and so, you know revived it in the sense of a women's world cup every two years he brought that up at the women's world cup in 2019 and yet this very much has been a very male focused issue for now for fifa they have brought the women's side of the game on board much later on in this process
2: yeah i was gonna say that with regard to rob's point i hadn't taken the legacy angle into consideration so that's an interesting take on this for me it's it's control and money. I, I feel like if you look back at this, this, the numbers I'm seeing being reported, UEFA makes $11 billion over four years because they have the Euros and they have the Champions League and everything that falls under their umbrella. FIFA over four years of that same four-year period makes $4 billion. And and majority of it comes in from the World Cup year and the other years are kind of struggling. So I can understand why this plan being put in place because to Rob's point of what Tariq said before, there's just not enough action going on with FIFA they want to they want to make sure that they're relevant and and I think that's uh really important to know and and I don't know if this phrase is exactly right but follow the money I think is there is the right uh phrase with regard to some of the decision making here and, and or at least that's how it feels so I'm curious uh, about this not only from a sporting side and I think that's a whole big conversation about we're now basically looking at players as robots but but also with regard to what's really happening here? And it just feels like a pissing match between the, the UEFA and FIFA.
1: Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's move here for a second. I, I want to ask something. Uh, l- let me be the devil's advocate.
2: <laughs> okay. Is it wait you're the Sep Ladder advocate is that what you <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let me be the Peruvian Sep Ladder for a second which is uh, kind of scary if you think about it but let me go back to you Tariq for a second uh would this be really unpopular do you think like if 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 it actually went to vote i know that this obviously meant to be uh, at the very least a consultation meeting in december so would the, would this idea you know be uh, unpopular as you think or do you think that it actually can gain a little traction
3: I think it's gained a lot of traction, again, but not for the right reasons, perhaps. Um, we we want to maybe think about how these decisions are arrived at, what needs to happen. So it doesn't matter what, what you know, Rob Harris, uh, Luis, Jimmy Conrad, what we think, you know, it doesn't matter what the coaches think. It's amazing. It doesn't matter what the players think. The only people that have a say in this process are 211 national soccer associations, and essentially, most of them uh, generate almost all of their money from handouts, whether it's from FIFA or from their regional bodies. So you're asking a bunch of old men. I'm going to say that because they are. It's factual. Um, do you want more <laughs> money? And often in any sort of politics, pure pork barrel politics as this is, you can going to say, yeah, sure, where do I sign? So it's not about a World Cup or... Opportunity, maybe you know. In some cases, it might be, but the the idea is often with these FAs that they're going to get more, more, more money, and then you know, to Jimmy's point, yeah, it is about money. But then we have got to look back. You say, look, FIFA is getting six, and UEFA is getting eleven. But what does FIFA do with this money, right? Or what's the point of this money, right? It's not a, it's not got, it's not a private company. It's not got um, like. um a rich investor who's looking to make a profit from this so the, the the reason of fifa to exist is to develop the game of football around the world and it does so by by hosting this extremely popular event right um which is i think more popular than the the summer olympics which is going some it's the most popular sporting event on the planet where is this money going so then if i'm at fifa if i'm jairian fantino new broom comes in after the scandal of 2015 Set Blatter's gone, he hasn't changed anything. He's only arguably made the system even more kind of, you know, tipped from the president down and that, you know, they all have to kind of genuflect towards him because he quadrupled the handout to to these national federations. Now, let me ask you this. Why does England need a FIFA handout in the same way as, I don't know, a a country with a large population somewhere in in Africa that needs more, more of FIFA's money? more grassroots action every nation, San Marino will get the same as uh, I don't know Congo the the population and the needs are completely different but in order for the politics one member one vote this is this is how it's been So when we're thinking about Gianni looking at the legacy uh, of his own legacy and restructuring football, it might have been I think really important had they restructured FIFA, both from a decision-making point of view, and what they do with all of this money. Because giving the same amount to the same country doesn't really sound like much difference to what Blatter did and what Havelange did before him.
2: No, I agree with that. And I actually wanted to ask Rob, because Tariki brought up the Olympics, how does that impact that competition? Because I saw that they're pissed, Rob, about what's happening with FIFA, because now it's going to impact their little four-year cycle in terms of when they have their events. Do you have any insight on on that little beef between the Olympics and FIFA?
4: Yeah, that was quite incredible intervention from the International Olympic Committee. We used to quite dry statements from them in terms of not really getting involved. In fact, just before this, in the weeks beforehand, they said they wouldn't even comment on this issue. Then suddenly on a Saturday evening after an executive board meeting, they Came out against these plans, talking about the impact on other sports as well, on their world championships that take place each year, and also the impact on the women's game, too. Because, you know, if if there was a men's world cup every year, the Arsene Wenger plan is for a uh, continental championship in the alternate years. So no longer would the odd numbers years be the preserve of uh, women's tournaments, be it from, uh, you know, FIFA or from uh, the continental bodies in the women's game. And also, If this plan did come to fruition and both the men's and women's game had tournaments every single year in June, July, well, of course, the Olympics drops in June, in July and August. And for the women's game, it's currently age unrestricted. So there'd be significant questions about the uh, participation of teams in that. And I actually asked Jill Ellis about this a few weeks ago when she did a FIFA media call. And she actually just criticised the Olympic format instead, saying 12 teams really isn't enough. You, you know, European top sides do miss out um, in, in the current guys uh, You know, the, the way European qualifying is determined currently through the World Cup means, uh, you know, teams can miss out that way. So... It's a big ticket seller as well for the IOC, the Olympic football. You know, when I was checking back for the empty stadium Olympics into Japan, how many tickets they sold in um, Brazil, I think it was averaging over 30,000 a game. So pretty significant for them. But also, obviously, a lot of self-interest in this. You see quite close alliance between uh, UEFA and um, the IOC as well, perhaps in sort of getting this uh, statement of opposition. But we'll probably get to it, in the heart of it, the fact is, we're talking about the end product of what needs to be a sort of review of how international football is. One solution that you, FIFA wants, by any World Cups. There are clear, legitimate issues the rest of the, the way the global game is structured, qualifying both in the uh, the men's and the women's game in terms of more meaningful fixtures, fewer sort of stop-start breaks for international breaks, but it's all become caught up instead in the desired end goal of FIFA by any World Cups.
1: Yeah, and the, the problem is, is now you also have the added avalanche of the fact that we're dealing with this uh, during a pandemic, which obviously, you know, if you want to say Jimmy's point about follow the money, obviously the financial necessities during a COVID-19 situation is extra key. Tariq, Arsene Wenger. Okay, I feel that he entered this literally his first interview at FIFA was just like, look, we know what you've done. Uh, We know how smart you are with the game. This is literally your only job. I want you to sell this. That's what it feels like. So what was Arsene Wenger's role in this idea and what were his and other FIFA ambassadors, you know, doing in order to make this happen? Because obviously he's been the poster boy, so to speak, for this uh, situation.
3: Yeah he'll also be the guy who gets hit by the truck when it goes up in flames as well exactly. right. right. Yeah. Uh, really, for me it's quite an unfortunate position for for him to find himself in. Uh, you know football fans of a certain age you know we huge amount of respect for Arsene Wenger said so what he did at Arsenal change, Premier League in general he changed the entire culture of a footballing culture in in a, in a in a nation in a very um soccer mad nation like England for this guy from France Arsene who he was called when he first arrived from, from Japan. And, and, you know, he, he will go down as a real important figure in, in the game, regardless. So he, he, he obviously, and he's, he loves, he loves football. The guy is obsessed with football. You know, his, if you ask him what his hobby is, when he's not, you know, when he wasn't coaching, it was watching football on TV. I'm not sure it'd be like, you know, the most fun on a night out in that case, (laughs) but, but there you go, you know, but, but, so he's got the he's got the heft this is this is yeah. the man and this is what you know he's like a shield for this idea you know every time i ask someone i remember talking to someone <laughs> at fifa about this and they were like well how can you argue with Arsene Wenger? And that was like, whatever happened. So you know, Arsene, you know, the, the, you know, God from the Mount of Football, you know, Arsene has spoken. He must never be questioned. This, this, and it seems like he is the, a figly for this for this process. Now, I have I have a suspicion that this isn't his idea at all. Um, as, as Rob kind of alluded to, the Biennial World Cup is part of a broader conversation about the future of football, which is. The next ten years, what does the football calendar look like? And everyone's trying to plant their flag with, you know, club world cups. We had the Super League um, idea. It's not—it's no surprise it came now um, with, with this this issue up in up in the air. The new Champions League formats there. So you're using arson. Awesome. And then one thing Gianni did from from way way back when is he got this collection of FIFA legends. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> who who fly around the world and and essentially tell the the good news story on behalf of FIFA. you know these yeah, are I remember
1: legends. the photo the pho- it was like a school photo and you saw all those like Alexi Lalas was part of it. obviously uh, you know uh, Peter Schmeichel was there like, there were like a lot right. it was a big school photo. I remember that
3: <laughs> and the thing, the thing with these legends is they all this is very odd. They all completely agree with everything FIFA has said. So, hey, buy a new World Cup. I remember asking Peter Schmeichel because there was this um, uh, media briefing with um, Wenger and um, the, the the original Ronaldo. Jimmy, you may have even played against him at that, at that point in your career. Um, uh, there was, yeah, Peter Schmeichel. I can't remember one one other player, and I just remember asking because I had eighty players on this in this consultation. So, Peter, did did anyone disagree? No, no, I don't think, and I'm thinking, you know, you just go to the pub with anyone. <laughs> yeah, You're going to yeah, be exactly. something that we all agree on. There's going to be someone who, just for the sake of it, will, will will disagree with this thing. So there's there's a there's a bit of optics. But just to, just to close on this point, there's an enormous amount of kind of re- reverse engineering in the process. See, for me, I I don't know. I don't think this is a good idea, but I'd like to see all the the process work. To me, this is seems like this is a decision that's already been taken. Yeah. And they're now adding these bits on. Now, how could you ask for a vote when you got Gianni Fantino last week saying, hey, if you've got any good ideas, they're better than this, can you let us know? Two, uh, yeah, we're still putting the financial projections on. We we have, you know, we're still going to talk. Like if none of that has been done, why are certain FAs, particularly there was a fellow in Nigeria who was just crying for this thing to be done yesterday. You know, you know man, you haven't seen all the all the projections yet this 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 is like a serious or it's supposed to be a very serious organization taking a very very important decision for the world's most popular sport it just doesn't feel like that way dude what do you make of the 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 chaos really
2: yeah i think it's pretty chaotic i'll start with the r9 ronaldo shout i did play against them and it didn't go well so we'll just leave it there (laughs) uh that's for a second i want to say that it would be fun if somebody started a FIFA fan TV channel so that they could start flying banger out banners out around FIFA headquarters just so we could have a little bit of fun and actually get into these guys and hold them accountable. Because I feel like that's what gets the views. That's what gets the clicks is all this negativity around when things aren't going right, especially as it pertains to Arsene Vanger. Arsenal fan TV people know all about that. So there's that kind of interest where we can hold them accountable in some ways outside of them kind of just trying to, to grease the wheels and pay everybody off to make sure they say all the right things. What I find interesting is that, one, that Arsene Wenger would even agree to be the puppet with regard to this without having some sense of belief. I mean, money's money, and I'm sure he already had plenty of it. So I'm, I'm very curious as to, I, I think he's trying to do, at least it feels like it, what's right for the game. And he's talking about having less international breaks. Qualifying windows will happen twice a year only, so it's not really impacting or interfering with the flow of club football for, for too long. I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about what that looks like. But to your point, Tariq, this next 10 years is going to be quite fascinating with regard to how things are going to change. And so, Rob, I'm going to throw it to you because I want to talk about it seems like they're just trying to create this real estate. We need more real estate so that we can leverage that real estate to make more money. That's how it feels to me. And if we have a World Cup every two years, a Women's World Cup every two years, we have all these club World Cups then that will give us that opportunity to start to take a little bit more control, whereas it feels like UEFA is starting to gain more and more and more of it.
4: Yeah, and I think UEFA feels more of a threat in that regard. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the the value of the European Championship would be potentially diminished, as would the World Cup if it did go every two years for the men. I do think there is more of a case for the women's game to actually have a more frequent World Cup. Yes, it would then create a disparity Mm -hmm. in terms of the men's game, in terms of them both not following the same cycles, but... Perhaps the alternative is the creation of some additional events because already that happens in the women's game with the She Believes Cup in the States, usually in March. England is creating its own friendly tournament effectively in February next year. So we are seeing perhaps different challenges in the men's and women's games. England have won two of their most recent qualifiers, 10-0 obviously great for the players in terms of racking up scoring uh, totals for the overall tallies, but competitive-wise, not really so. doesn't really drive the improvement of the team, doesn't help their opposition potentially as well if they're being um, so heavily beaten like that and so out of touch in the game. So potentially because they're on different growth trajectories, the men's and women's game does need a sort of different analysis over which tournaments are required and what the future is for them. Uh, and that's why FIFA say they're brought in Jill Ellis, although she was only brought in after us And Wenger spent many, many months already looking at these plans. And, you know, as we look at this, what is forgotten in this process is it's not necessarily about tournaments. FIFA's made about that. It's the international match calendar because yeah. the women's one ends in 2023 as it stands. The men's agreement ends in 2024. So what, there is actually agreement needed between for instance, the national federations, the club bodies, in terms of setting up the structure of the international football year in the coming years ahead. And what the international match calendar does, it determines when clubs have to release their players to their... uh, National team for international duty, and then you know with the European Club Association and FIFA, for instance, there's all sorts of compensation packages in place. So clubs get cash for their players featuring in uh, major tournaments, for instance. So that is also needed. So a lot of discussions are being conflated into one. The new international match calendar: what should qualifying look like? How many international windows should there be in the year? How many World Cups should there be? How frequent should they be? Because I think if we look at particularly qualifying as it is now in the international windows, which are in um, March, June, July for tournaments, September, October, November in the men's game. Well, I think those September, October, November ones particularly, perhaps it's two-stop starts. Wenger's proposing just one big window outside of the major tournament one, but maybe it would benefit from just two in the autumn, uh, or Northern Hemisphere autumn or the fall, <laughs> or, 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 or indeed just one and then another in March. Though, you know, Wenger's thinking about scrapping the March one as well, which denies opportunities for players to break into their national teams. Mm-hmm. If a player is injured around October, November, then they might completely miss out on all qualifiers and impact the chance of their country qualifying. And also, if you cram all the fixtures together... Yep. It can, it can damage revenue for countries as well because there might be less demand for tickets if you're just suddenly playing every qualifier at the same time. And that's particularly impactful for the smaller federations too.
1: Yeah, there is so much to uh, break down here. And I, I actually want to, in a second, really discuss as well just a player's perspective. And that's really what I really want to hear because we've talked a lot about scheduling, logistics and stuff. But how does a player feel about all of this we're going to take a break we'll take a break when we uh, when we come back we'll discuss much much more with Tariq Panja Rob Harris and of course Jimmy Conrad we'll be right back
0: okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to Kigo Lasso. We're having a great discussion here on FIFA's plans for a biennial World Cup. Tariq Panja, Rob Harris, Jimmy Conrad. Right then, we've talked a lot about, you know, the plans from FIFA, the plans or acceptances or not acceptances from federations, uh, football associations, et cetera, et cetera. I want to know, and perhaps, uh, you know, a, a deeper discussion, but, you know, on just a player, just, you know, we're talking about the fact that forget the physical side of things, Jimmy, uh, the mental aspect as well. I mean, we already see how it affects players from uh, a COVID perspective. I'm, I'm thinking just selfishly South American wise, just to travel that these have to do and then coming back and then being in a sort of a specific bubble. Now you're throwing in the fact that, you know, there might be a possibility of a World Cup once every two years. How would you feel? Let's say that you are in your prime, in your prime, Jimmy Conrad, and uh, the plans have been made now to do a World Cup once every two years. How would you, Jimmy, would feel about that?
2: Okay, I'm going to answer that question. But first, I want to say that because I play in the World Cup and it being every four years, which Mm -hmm. the timing of you being healthy and everything falling into place, because I was a late addition, a late bloomer to the festivities. I wasn't a kid coming out at 18 with all the sparkling hype and all that that comes with it. I had to kind of fight and earn and scratch. It made me feel really special. And now if they're going to have one every two years. It's not going to feel as special. That's what I'm going to say. So I'm <laughs> sad about that. Second, what I want to add is if I was in my prime, I guess I'd be excited about, hey, I could probably play in four World Cups now and no problem, you know? So it's interesting the, the perspective there from that standpoint to be able to play in more World Cups because of the prestige it has, I think is a, a special feeling. That said, if it's every two years, I think it will lose a little bit of that mystique that surrounds it. So I don't know. I guess I'm kind of torn. We have to see what it looks like if it does end up going off. That said, there is there is something that, that I do appreciate about getting nations together and competing at the highest levels. And I know that, and I didn't hear Tariq or Rob say it, but it just feels like it's very thinly veiled that FIFA exists to support the game everywhere else. They say that, right? Oh, if we have more tournaments... You know, like it's going to help Madagascar become good. and, And I guess theoretically it could if that money gets, as Tariq said earlier, gets actually put into that infrastructure and they can actually grow in a meaningful way. But ultimately, it's still about making money. And so... I, it's hard to to take away from that, and I think players are smart enough to know what's happening here, and I'm sure they're going to ask for a bigger piece of the pie if that happens too. So, yeah, it's there's a lot to unpack there, Luis.
3: There's a, Jimmy. There's a funny, funny uh, curiosity actually. Maybe it's a it's a fluke, and there is no real rhyme or reason for this. It, it's just uh, <laughs> when 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 it was Wenger or, or Gianni, one of the, one of the guys supporting this, said, "Oh, you know, by by playing in more tournaments, you end up having better results." The thing is, I looked at African teams because I look at Africa a lot with FIFA because FIFA essentially for the last year or so has taken over African football. Uh, that's for another show, perhaps. <laughs> but, um, and they've got worse. I remember as a kid... That Cameroon team in 1990, right. that should have knocked England out in the quarterfinal. Yeah, they were, were. a revelation. Amazing. Also, you learn about geography as a, as, as a kid with these, mm-hmm. before the internet, really. So you, Cameroon is, was that.
1: And that Cameroon team, uh, sorry to interrupt, her, it was essentially the reason why Pele started saying, you know, uh, an African team is going to win the World Cup and so-and-so or whatever. There was like this narrative now being built, right?
3: Yeah, so you, you had them. Really, they should have got to the semi final, And then after that, who knows what what could happen, you know, a couple of games of football. Um and then you have the odd, you had the odd Ghana in 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 South Africa, but for the uh, infamous Luis Suarez handball and then the the missed penalty from Asamo Jan, I think. Uh they they would have made a, a semi-final as well. But they, but you know, taken together, African f- football uh teams at World Cups have gotten worse. The more, the more they've played. So that that necessarily doesn't necessarily speak to the point that they're trying to say. You know, you get to this tournament, you're going to get better. It's probably more about the right investment in the right places, and also people actually wanting to play football. Right um, conditions, environment, etc. You know. So 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 I, I don't know if that that necessarily is a thing. And from a a player's point of view, I think it was on your station or one of your affiliates. We had Thierry Henry. With CBS, I think, where he 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 spoke about. Look, I am tired after tournaments, and I'm not just physically tired. I am mentally finished. Yeah. You've got a tough seat, especially for these elite players. The amount of pressure every weekend of football, be it in the Premier League and Serie A, even the Brasileirao in, in in Brazil. Um, the, the the media scrutiny every point counts the pressure on your place and then not having a summer off ever and then wearing the, the shirt the heaviest shirt often is the national team shirt and then doing it again and again
2: these you know jimmy i think you use a word these aren't robots are they yeah. I mean, you, do you ever feel like that No, I just wanted to jump in and say that it's interesting you bring that up about the emotional and Thierry Henry saying that after a tournament because when I look back at my 2006 experience, for me, I accomplished everything I set out to do in my life. I overachieved. I never thought I'd play in a World Cup. I dreamed about it, but I never thought I would. And I got there and I held my own. And it wasn't our greatest performance collectively, but it was a thrill for me. And I got to prove to to the haters out there and to myself that I could, in fact, do it. And I came back and I was... I didn't know what to do. Like... What's now I have to wait four more years. I, mean, I guess two years would have been nice. I would have stayed motivated, but four more years to 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 you know stay on top of it and, and to stay sharp and I was 29 at the time. Am I going to be looked at uh, you know the wrong side of 30 on damaged goods? I I came back a little depressed. I went back to my club team 3 days, 4 days after getting knocked out cuz I didn't know what else to do and I was that type of player wanted to be there. I got that hero complex like a lot of us and and I I played poorly. We lost 3 to 2. And and I broke my jaw the next game and actually getting my jaw broken by Clint Dempsey. Thanks, Clint. I got to rest. I got to rest for eight weeks because yeah. my jaw was wired shut. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I could have that time to decompress from everything that I was working through. So, yeah, from an emotional standpoint, Thierry Henry is spot on. And the fact that we're not allowing any breaks or time for these players to rest both physically, emotionally. And, and yeah, I guess those two, then then it's going to be hard, I think, to maybe hit those gears. But that maybe plays into what Rob was saying earlier, that maybe this will give more opportunity to players that it doesn't look like we'll get those opportunities otherwise.
4: And I think that was particularly the point that when we were hearing from Thierry on the other way, other week on uh, Paramount, which was you had Peter Schmeichel in the studio with him and he was obviously they were talking about Arsene Wenger's plan for a mandatory 25-day break after every tournament, which Wenger believed then, well, that would clear the mind. Thierry Henry was saying, actually, it'd be challenging enough in the current cycle when he was a player, recovering mentally from from that uh, focus, intense planning and and playing in the tournaments. And then you had Jamie Carragher alongside him, pointing out he'd had a conversation with Arsene Wenger about these plans and... He hadn't heard back from him recently. hadn't been invited onto another call and uh, <laughs> suggested that might have been because he was uh, not too uh, enamoured with it and not too supportive. And that comes back to the earlier point about all the people presented by FIFA are so in favour of this uh, proposition. And right. their point was also, why is it not current players being consulted? We're not hearing uh, FIFA consulting them. They all say they're consulting FIFA, Pro, the players' union, but FIFA are happy enough to distance themselves from FIFA Pro <laughs> at other times. And, Perhaps many of the players we are hearing from are a lot more skeptical. And some have surprised me, like uh, Gareth Bale as Wales captain. He's never had the chance to play in a World Cup. He's been to the, the one Euros in 2016, reaching the semi-finals so unexpectedly. You'd think a player like Bale would be the first to be desperate to get a World Cup every two years, a Euros every two years, to have many chances as possible to qualify. But, you know, even someone like he, he is against it too. So, um, you know, just hearing from around the game, there is that significant scepticism from the current coach as well, like, Didier Deschamps at France, we've got Roberto Martinez as well in Belgium, all questioning the status of it. And FIFA does try to present a lot of it as being Europe against the rest of the world. It's Europe denying the progress of African nations, Asian nations, and, you know, North American nations, having the chance to, to develop more and to, to get more chances at World Cups. But, you know, there's no real sense of any sort of widespread support from people within the game, apart from perhaps those federations with closer alliances to uh, FIFA. And, uh, you know, that's something that's been particularly noteworthy during this. All
1: right. So let me bring this back all the way around and let's go back now to the present. Uh, Tariq, I want you to answer me this and then, Rob, please feel free to to jump in as well. Where are we right now? Is it, you know, uh, is it still, you know, is it do you think it's, it's, it's calming down? I think I remember reading a tweet from you, Tariq, that maybe things are you know, quieting down. Is it dead in the water? Are we still going on with this? Where are we right now, Tariq?
3: I, I really think it's on life support, if not close to, because you've got to spool out a bit for consequences. You've had UEFA and you've had Comnaval mm. openly talking about taking severe action. What would that action look like? You know, sometimes you think things are always going to be the same We have FIFA, so there's always going to be FIFA. We have the World Cup, so there's always going to be a World Cup. But things can change. Now, if you push people so far to a point where they start thinking, you know, what else can we do? Now, if this vote takes place in December, which it will not, I'm sure it will not, and the majority of these countries, most of them who will never, ever qualify for a World Cup, let's face it, you know, but no offense to Bahamas, but I'll say Bahamas or, or you know, or, 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 or you know, um maybe Myanmar or somewhere like that. Of course they'll vote yes. And there's more of them than there are that qualify for the World Cup. So then that's on the board, there's a biennial World Cup. What if, and it's possible, you wait for ball and we say common ball, South American football, we're talking about Brazil, Argentina, and Peru.
1: Thank you so much for that, Tariq. <laughs> <laughs> they
3: they come together and say, hey, why don't we have a tournament? Why don't we host it in the summer? How about June and July? Us European teams, you South American teams. And, hey, we might have some invite spots as well. Five or six, maybe ten. Hey, United States, Japan, would you like to play?
1: Yeah, this is a good point. Yeah,
3: And then you've gone. There is no law that says FIFA has to exist. It will cause absolute chaos but when you push people right to the brink you are opening an entire can of worms and then you are you are you are out, you've lost control and in terms of legacy i'm not sure anyone would want to be the fifa president who presided over the end of fifa it was almost set blatter maybe it's gianni fantina this time
4: yeah i mean it's quite interesting sort of having particularly heard from european fa's in the last week or so and there was definitely a real threat from within europe to potentially quit fifa and whether or not it does actually happen who knows but the conversation is definitely taking place about how to trigger potentially the mechanism to uh, to quit fifa and you could say maybe it's some you know is groups of nations together helping uefa's cause in terms of taking on fifa but actually ultimately You know they question the value of what FIFA is actually needed for. The laws of the game are actually set by IFAB, which is only half controlled by FIFA in terms of the votes. And then, you know, you don't have to be a member of FIFA to be a member of a a confederation. For instance, Gibraltar was a member of UEFA before it was a member of FIFA. So it's 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 only an umbrella organization at the top of things. It's not the, the the most significant necessarily at all times and. You see this repeatedly with FIFA trying to antagonise UEFA seemingly as well. And they sort of get into these battles. They had it over the Club World Cup, mentioned over that $25 billion offer that was on the table a few years ago. That so infuriated members of the FIFA Council, particularly Europe, when they were effectively given a fait accompli to go and agree to it. Eventually, UEFA did relent and in 2019 did agree to an expanded Club World Cup 24 teams every four years rather than the current little regarded 17 annual tournament and you know they did have plans for that as i said earlier for for this year but they did um sort of fall away as it were but it's still on the table uefa did drop their opposition to it and one of the other perhaps interlinked issues in all this is still the many suspicions around the world of football about just how much fifa were involved in the european super league planning in terms of whether they got the impression from the elite clubs that they actually did have some backing from Gianni Infantino and FIFA if they did eventually go ahead with it. Uh, Obviously, as it quickly sort of fell apart, that's when you heard Infantino being very vocally um, opposing to it in in public. But obviously, that's an area that heavily scrutinized as well and just in terms of the motivations of FIFA in taking on UEFA and that.
2: Yeah, I, I love the insight here from Tariq and Rob. I really appreciate you guys coming on. I saw an idea from another one of our friends, journalist Michael Cox, about how the fact that there's only two two continents that have won the World Cup, South America and Europe. So you could allow them, potentially, if you wanted to find a compromise here, where they could continue to do their Euros and and Copa America in those every two years. But for everybody else, because CONCACAF Gold Cup here, Mexico and the U.S. have won it the last 11 times combined. Canada was the last country outside of those two to win it back in 2000. New Zealand, Australia kind of dominate Oceania, and uh, or New Zealand in particular, and and then they get to the World Cup and they don't do a lot, right? I mean, they kind of hit that ceiling. This is they qualify for World Cup, and then that's it. Congratulations, you made it to the group stage, and didn't score any goals. Awesome for you guys. So, so I think there's a possibility where you could have all the other continents involved, and then they play in something like an intercontinental playoff that FIFA can name whatever the hell they want, and you still allow the Euros, which is obviously incredibly popular and and same with Copa America to exist and maybe allow these other tournament or another tournament to flourish. Now, I don't know how CONCACAF would feel about that because then they start to lose a little bit of power and we know this is a big power game. So I I wonder about that, but it would be kind of cool to see potentially Japan versus Mexico in the final of a big intercontinental tournament, which we probably will never get in a World Cup. Also, I'm still strongly opposed to 48 teams. And if you allowed uh, in 2026, I do think to your early point, Rob, that it's just it's going to be weird. The format's going to be weird. And though it's cool to see Mozambique or whatever come in and play, they're going to get stomped on. And I don't know how much fun that is for anybody either. So I feel like if you had this intercontinental tournament that allowed these other places to flourish and maybe bring them in there, then you could continue to stay at 32 teams for the World Cup moving forward. So I think there's some compromises here. And I thought that was an interesting idea from Michael Cox.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good- yeah go ahead. Right.
2: Sorry, guys. I mean, no
3: one's saying that FIFA shouldn't innovate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Like, that—that that is the job, in a way, is to come up with ways to make the game interesting. I mean, for me, as a, as a viewer as well, I'm, I must say, until there's a tournament on, I find the, the current calendar just uh, outrageously boring and quite irritating, <laughs> if I'm honest. Like, uh, you know, for this, this season in particular, you had a global pandemic, which meant fans have been locked out for a year and a half of seeing their clubs, more or less, right? There was a give or take a few thousand here or there. Then this huge build-up of excitement after, from a European perspective, because this is where Rob and I are based, where you've had the Euros quite successful. And then finally, the European club season is about to get underway. And after three games or bang, stop, we've got these qualification matches. Yeah. And they could be hideously lopsided. It could be, you know, I don't know, a, a giant against a minnow, someone playing against Andorra or San Marino. And you're like, well, no disrespect to those countries. It's good for them that they, they get to play at Wembley or, um, you know, in, in Madrid or elsewhere. But, God, it just isn't good for the game. No one cares. About about that really, and feet, and that's where I think Arsene Wenger is is is, is hit on the right thing. you on the right thing, sorry. That something needs to happen to create. I mean, as a journalist here, I would say something to create a narrative. We always love a good story, but then you know you ha- you can't get a good story in, in in two days really, and then there's a six month three month break, and then another two game start. So mm-hmm. you know, and then the other the other innovation that's being discussed is a potential global nations league we we have nations league now in 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 europe and uefa and in concacaf um they're okay they 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 you know you have a, a, a finals and a, a trophy to play for and maybe in time um they'll be um you know valued a bit more but but the idea that some people have had and started to openly discuss is why don't the other confederations have uh, their own nations leagues and that feeds into a global finale in the end something that might be interesting to both viewers to to sponsors to players
1: God, that that's a good idea Tariq. it sounds like a cup of the world sort of uh, <laughs> I just a, I just I just think that the one uh, a World Cup once every two years is a band-aid over a gunshot wound problem. I think the bigger issue is trying to rectify the calendar and strengthen these regions that really need more infrastructure more help that's obviously a much more complex longer project but to everybody's point here you know, FIFA needs to innovate and you know I think Tariq you said it right at the beginning the, the you know what when we continue to have an organization like FIFA being ruled by I think you can say you know uh older white men who really are kind of like pretty much out of uh you know reach when it comes to what the modern game needs and this is just going to continue before uh we finish by the way cuz I, I want to thank Jimmy Rob, Tariq, just an unbelievable conversation, so good. Uh, I wanted final thoughts, just anything that you had in mind that we haven't touched on, it. perhaps something that you predict, something that you uh, hopefully uh, you know, hope will happen or a- anything else. Rob, let's begin with you as we wrap up. What, what, what are you predicting here?
4: Yeah, I think the Global Nations League is something that's more of a viable proposition because we've seen in Europe in particular the impact that the UEFA version of it has had. It's not devalued and detracted from the European Championship. It's created this tournament that creates a bit of interest, a bit of competitive edge to it. No one's too sure how to sort of judge it. It's not make or break, really, for teams at the moment. But it has the potential to grow as something that isn't a replica. It's there that improves on the friendlies at the moment. And in normal times, you know, we see Brazil coming over to London to play friendlies. We see the United States as well very often playing in London too. And, you know, they're making all this travel, they're playing these games, there's nothing really at stake about them. So there was a logic of perhaps the regional Nations League feeding into a uh, a global finals edition. I think if you had an all year round global one, it would just lead to absolutely loads of travel, which uh, particularly as <laughs> yeah. we approach COP26, the Environment Summit, wouldn't go down too well in particular. But um, I think something like a global nations league which was already actually presented as a plan by UEFA for about four four or five years ago so they've already backed it themselves as an idea so it's not too much of an extension of that if they can sort of work harmoniously with, with fifa to get something that is say a a small finals tournament with the very elite from each of the continents and obviously there would be so many debates about how many uh, places then you would have from each continent because there would be a desire obviously for uh, you know to try to get some of the very best nations in there but you do need to be globally represented probably at the same time in that and uh, also to address this issue in terms of uh, qualifying too because uh, you know a lot of qualifiers teams go through that uh, are very routine although probably the United States experience in the last few years qualifiers that can seem routine actually present a lot more jeopardy than, than you soon. could possibly imagine.
1: You're opening <laughs> that wound, Rob.
2: <laughs> Too <laughs> <soon>. <laughs>
1: Go ahead, Tariq. Give us your final thoughts.
3: This might be a bit of listener repellent, but uh, you know I'd use the word governance here. And for, for me, if, I think we're at a point where some of these organizations must not exist in the current form. I'm talking about FIFA here. The conflicts of interest are just astronomical. This is an organization that is a competitor, really, to leagues and clubs. It's is an event organizer. It's taking sponsors. It's, it's, it's taking broadcast dollars with its World Cup. So we saw it very recently. We had three games for the South American um, World Cup qualifiers, which meant there was 13 days of player release required. Rob mentioned they've got an understanding with leagues and clubs for a 10-day player release. What do they do? Yet they talked to the leagues and clubs, absolutely ignored them and had 13 days. Why? Because it's the FIFA World Cup. And if you don't release the players, guess who's going to sanction you? Oh, it's FIFA again. Now, to me, that that power imbalance needs to shift a little bit because it seems unfair. Uh, My final thought is you should break these organisations down. There's an event organising company that does a World Cup. There's a disciplinary organisation that governs football's laws and rules um and there is a development body that does what it says in the tin that develops football for the sake of developing football not for another vote in an election
2: yeah just what i wanted to say outside of spending some tremendous time here with rob and tarik and of course you lme my favorite part i think is trying to name as many small nations as we could i love that (laughs) competition i want to give a shout out to luxembourg Liechtenstein, (laughs) nepal uh, St. Kitts and Nevis like all those countries that was my favorite part of this whole thing was, was uh, me well you've got you have got their vote, do you mean exactly one member one vote let's go
1: well I like the fact that when uh, Tariq was mentioning South American countries he went Brazil Argentina and then we went Peru after that so you know he gets wins every time but I want to thank uh Tariq Panja from the New York Times, Rob Harris from Associated Press, Jimmy Conrad from CBS Sports, our very own Jimmy. Thank you, everybody, uh, for being part of this. Rob, thank you so much, my friend.
4: Great to join you guys.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Tariq, always a pleasure,
2: buddy. Thanks. Nice to be with you guys.
1: Jimmy, you are a legend. Thank you so much for being here, bud.
2: Big hugs to everybody. Thank you for listening and watching, as always.
1: As always. Thank you, everybody, for being part of the family. Kegolasso pod on Twitter. Kegolasso, YouTube.com forward slash Kegolasso as well. CBS Sports. CBS Sports app. Leave that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher. We will see you next time. Enjoy the rest of your week. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. Drag
0: queens save.